As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. Movember, it's a community of more than 5 million men and women from all around the world. And each week on this show, we speak with someone from that community who is passionate about changing the face of men's health. To listen to other episodes, movemberradio.com. Find us on Facebook by searching Movember. And you can always subscribe in the podcast app of your choice or find us on SoundCloud. Now, as we get stuck into 2016, this week on the show... We're going to revisit a great conversation with Richie McCaw, recently retired captain of the fearsome New Zealand All Blacks rugby team and longtime Mobro. Richie opens up about how seemingly bulletproof men aren't immune to the physical and mental struggles that life throws everybody and the role that mates play in keeping you grounded. Richie goes into the pressures and expectations of captaining the team and the Rugby World Cup, as well as ways that he's managed the stress of such a role. Now, Richie got involved with the Movember Foundation to help spread the word that it's okay for men to talk about what's going on, and it's also important to check in with friends to see how they're doing. Now, like I said, this is a conversation we had with Richie last year, so when we spoke, we caught up with Richie in his home in New Zealand, where he was preparing for the upcoming Bledisloe Cup and the World Cup. Enjoy this conversation with Richie McCaw. Thanks so much for being here. Where uh, where in the world are you today? Can you paint us a bit uh, of a picture about where you are? What's going on? Yeah, I'm in uh, Christchurch. Yeah, we're just uh, that's where I live. And as I say, it's uh, snowed pretty much to almost down to uh, this far. So about two or three degrees and wet. So real nice. <laughs> and you've got to go out and train in that. Yeah, we were out there training this morning, and uh, they made us hit the ground and get up a few times, so it was real good. <laughs> anyway. Is uh, Christchurch far from where you grew up? No, about oh, three hours south of here is where I grew up, so um, on a farm down there. Oh, right. So that's a, it's a bit idyllic. A lot, not a lot of people grow up on farms. What was that like? Oh, it was pretty cool. It was, uh, 
I suppose, uh, you know, the freedom of being able to, you know, run around and stuff. And you learn pretty quick how to drive vehicles and do all those sort of things farm kids get to do. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Oh, you were one of the kids in the back of a tractor? Oh, when I was allowed to, yeah. Yeah, no, I started on that pretty quick. So, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> so we've got a lot of people listening from all around the world today. So if, if we could paint the picture, as a kid, when you were a little kid, when did you first become aware of, of what it was to be an All Black? When I first went to primary school, I went to primary school with about 24, 25 kids, and uh, it's all they talked about at lunchtimes, and that was rugby. So I learnt from about five that uh, what rugby is all about. And then probably about age six or seven when the All Blacks won the World Cup in 87, uh, I remember watching it on TV, and I think from that point on, uh, like every, well, like a lot of uh, Kiwi kids, you know, being an All Blacks the dream. And, uh, you know, for it never become reality seemed pretty far off, but, uh, you know, been able to do that for the last 15 years what do what does an, when you're a kid what do all blacks represent as as men to you well traditionally all blacks have always been you know from all parts of the country and a lot of a lot of them traditionally used to be farmers you know the big strong men who uh you know back in the amateur days where you didn't train you know you, you had other jobs they come from the farm probably got their training from running around the farm chasing sheep and uh lifting fence posts all that sort of stuff so yeah, All Blacks sort of represented, I, I suppose, to a lot of Kiwis what a, what a good Kiwi bloke was, you know, big, rugged, tough, tough man. So it's all changed a little bit now because, you know, there's not many farmers uh, play for the All Blacks these days because it's professional, but uh, that's sort of what it represented. And, and I think now it's changed a little bit, but it still represents probably what uh, most Kiwi blokes, uh, you know, the guys that play for the All Blacks are just normal Kiwi blokes who, you know, do all right at rugby. And that's quite a cool thing, I think. Now, how old were you when... And sorry, how old were you? And who was the first person to tell you that you know, Richie, this is a, uh, this is possible. You could do this. I don't know. I, I never really thought it was going to be a realistic goal or dream, or whatever. Until um, I left uh, school, and I, I managed to get myself into the New Zealand Under 19s. And uh, Mark Shaw, Cowboy Shaw, who was a bit of a hard man in the 80s for the All Blacks, when uh, he gave us out our jerseys for the first game, he said, you know, you. You're the best in the country at under-19 level. There's no reason why you can't be an all-black. And it was about that point that the, it became, instead of a dream, it actually became maybe that's a goal that's slightly realistic. So I, I, I suppose that was the thing. And rugby had only been professional for three or four years at that point. So uh, it wasn't really something that yeah, you grew up at school thinking that's my job, that could be my job. To be captain of the all-blacks, this, this team that's so steeped in so much so much in, in the eyes of, of a nation it's probably as close that as any human's going to get to being a superhero in the eyes of a community <laughs> to be the, uh, to be the captain of that team yeah that, that's it like being an all blacks just you know thing you have a dream of doing but uh, i suppose once you're there um you know one of the things i remember being told early on is you know there's no point just being an all black you might as well try and be you know you get there be a good one or a great one and and i guess with that you know you you want to want the team to do well and and do well for it and uh, i really enjoyed um contributing to that and but the opportunity still to be the captain of uh, this team uh, it, it still you still pinch yourself now that, you know, they actually uh, are in that situation. You know, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. And, uh, you know, you could walk around with a big heavy weight on your shoulders, but it's a, a pretty cool thing to, to stand in a, a circle before you run out of a test match with the best players and some of the best players in the world. Uh, and, and, well, I think you can give some directions to them or help them or do your bit, but... Uh, 
you know, you just one of the boys in the team, but, uh, you know, you ensure that the team functions, and that's what's pretty cool. That's inside the team, though, but as far as the general population is concerned, as the country is concerned, as far as, like, a New Zealand anywhere in the world is concerned, there's so much adulation but also expectation placed upon your shoulders. How do you handle that? Yeah, I guess there is. There's, there's no doubt about that, like the expectation that the team performs every week. Uh, you know, there's that there. That, that could That's a thing that keeps you on your game, I think. It keeps you sharp that you can't just sit back and think we've got it mastered. But it's uh, you always remember it as a privilege. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it can feel a bit, you know, you get yourself when you have a loss or something, you think, jeepers, you know, it's sometimes it gets a bit unfair, the criticism, whatever. But, you know, if someone said to me, uh, when you feel like that, uh, we'll take it all away from you, you'd go, hell no. Um, I, I love what I do. And, and the upsides are, are pretty pretty awesome. You know, we uh, walk. Yeah, walk down the street after a good all-black one and everyone's giving you a pet on the back, you know. Um, that's uh, it's a pretty cool feeling. It still must be a lot of pressure. How do you how do you release the pressure? How do you get away from the pressure of the, from, of the job? There's probably a couple of things. Is, uh, like I've got a good bunch of mates that, uh, from outside of uh, rugby. You know, they treat you normal, just like all my other mates. Um, so I've always made sure I keep in good contact with them and um, they keep your feet on the ground, you know. They, they do that pretty easily by just uh, giving you a bit of stick like you, like you do. Um, so that's one way that I, I do. And uh, the second way is um, a thing to just get away from it. I'm, I'm quite passionate about flying. I've got my uh, helicopter and aeroplane licence and glider, actually, and uh, my family are right into it. And it's a completely different bunch of people you mix with and they're all passionate about that and they uh, they get so worried about the rugby they, they obviously follow it but you end up just talking about aeroplanes and something you got in common which I really enjoy and as I say with all my family being involved in it uh, when I go home to the folks for a feed or something you know they uh, I talk to the old man more about flying than I do about rugby. So I'm guessing that when you're aloft in a glider with no engine you'd have to you have to be pretty good at keeping you keeping your cool. Well exactly like I remember someone a few years ago said, well, you know, is there any similarities between uh, rugby and, uh, and gliding? I was like, no. And then I was actually speaking to a, uh, one of the top glider pilots around. He said, well, one thing that you get is, is quite a good situation awareness. You're out in a rugby field, you're under pressure, you've got to make decisions and, and know what's going on around you. And, and you've got to be like that in a glider, you know, when you've got to think about the weather, you've got to think about where you are in relation to the ground and where you're going to go next, you know. I suppose is, you could probably uh, draw a bit of log bow, but find some similarities there. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, yeah, keeping yourself alive as opposed to uh, just working out how to win a game is a little bit different. <laughs> But it must be so peaceful without an engine up there. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's peaceful in a way, like you yeah, a beautiful scenery. You know, that's what's great about New Zealand, the the Southern Alps and stuff. Flying around the mountains is pretty awesome. But it's not just a matter of floating around. You actually got to be quite on the job in terms of thinking what next, where to go next. And but it, uh, you see, you come back pretty tired after a day out. But uh, but it's pretty exhilarating, I think, and that's the the thrill I get out of it. From playing under-19s and on in your career, I'd imagine the whole time you and your teammates would have had fairly good relationships with your doctors, things about like ankles and shoulders and, and knees. But what about what about headspace? Uh, you're dead right. Like, we, we learned pretty quickly that you've got to look after your body. And I think as you get older, you know, about how much better you can do it, you, you just realise that you take for granted when you're younger that you recover from things. But, like, I've 
seen through my three years, and and it's actually through our players' association in uh, New Zealand Rugby Players Association, where it's probably not well. It will be obviously within rugby, but the guys that leave rugby, you know, about my age now in their thirties, you know, the, the mental space and the um, understanding that uh, has become a real thing that we've put a lot of focus onto because. You know, you think big, strong men. You know, I think the traditional thing is uh, they're not going to get uh, themselves and you know they're living the dream type thing. How could they ever have any issues? But the one the one person that's obviously made a, um, a, a quite a uh, impact is uh, John Kerwin, who wrote the book about depression, about when he was an All Black, how he suffered from it, and I think it's opened a lot of a lot of people's eyes as to you know just because you have got things sorted in a physical sense, you know, doesn't mean you. You're happy doing what you're doing, and and I think uh, the more we go on, the more we realise that uh, rugby players, especially, are just like uh, general population, that uh, there's some people that suffer, and uh, you know, being able to talk about it's uh, pretty key. Yeah, really, really doesn't discriminate. Doesn't doesn't really care how big you are, does it? No, and uh, yeah, things from the outside could look all sweet, and you've got it all under control, but uh, you know, someone could be. Uh, having all sorts of uh, issues for all sorts of different reasons. And I know a lot of people reading John Kerwin's book, for example, uh, it gave them the courage to actually seek some help. And uh, I don't think we're any good at it yet, don't get me wrong, but uh, certainly there's been a bit more understanding or a bit more awareness that not everyone does have it sorted. Have you seen this sort of thing? Have you seen blokes close to you deal with this sort of stuff? Yep. I've uh, probably not so much in a rugby sense, guys I've played with, but... Uh, there's definitely guys go through highs and lows and, you know, the, the ups and downs you get as a professional rugby player can be quite exaggerated. You know, you can have some extreme highs and great times, but when your form goes off and there's a bit of criticism and maybe something's not right at home, you, you certainly see guys that, that, that struggle and, uh, and you know, we just put it down to sometimes, oh, you're just going through a bad patch and, and as people do, and it, but uh, you see that. But I've got had friends that certainly in the um, outside of rugby that... Uh, you know, you, you hear of, uh, I think it's latter, you look back and they say, look, I've been through a bad patch, and you think, geez, how did I not see that, you know? But, uh, you know, I suppose we all sort of just sort of uh, put our head in the sand at times. But, um, you know, I, I know certainly uh, as I got a bit older, I've become a bit more aware of some things, and it's still a question of, of what do you do if you do see that or you feel it yourself, and I think that's what's, uh, you know, the awareness is, is great that it's uh, obviously trying to bit, you know. Increase it. So, what do you do if you see a mate like that now? Uh, well, I think um, I just think of one example. You know, I was actually asked some of the other mates who are friends, like, "Are you seeing the same things I'm seeing?" And um, and then actually, uh, if if you are, I'd actually go and speak to them. And uh, you know, sometimes you can be pretty staunch to your mates. You don't want to show weaknesses and stuff. But I've got mates that you know we give each other plenty of stick and. You know, telling each other hard enough and all that. But my good friends, I know, uh, and I, and I've seen it. You know, we actually go and say, "Hey, look, I wouldn't mind having a chat." They, uh, you know, you help each other out. That's what friends do. And uh, sometimes it just takes the courage to break that, but break that ice. And I've had a discussion to a couple of guys, and uh, you know, they sort of say, "Yeah, well, things aren't that good at the moment." May not be to the point of you know terribly depressed, but certainly you know just when you're down it or things aren't going your way, just to have a chat about it can be make quite a difference. Absolutely, we talked a little about injuries before. As a professional rugby player, injuries that we expected, but sometimes they they can take you out for part of a season. Sometimes they can threaten your entire career. How do you deal with it when you're sidelined? When does it ever get any easier? 
the, the big thing I've learned is actually have a plan in place to how you're going to get to the point of either back playing or, or fit again. But if you meander along, you know, sometimes you keep thinking, oh, I'm no better today than I was yesterday. Um, you know, that can build up and be you get yourself into a hole. And I actually went through a situation that back in 2004, I had a concussion, which, to be honest, was uh, bad enough, obviously. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Cashing's not, not a good thing, but um, it was no worse than some people that recover quite quickly. But I started to doubt myself and went on for a couple of weeks, and then I got myself in a loop where I was just, people were always asking, that frustrated me, and I got really short and... Uh, and with people and it wasn't until I sort of got myself back playing I looked back and I was actually in a bit of a dark space you know uh, I didn't want to talk about it I didn't want to talk to anyone but I was yeah as I said short to people even my family and that you know you got a bit short and they sort of in a funny way they were a bit worried too but they didn't want to say anything and uh, as I say I look back on it and go wow you know that could have uh, you know that wasn't a very nice place to be so I think what I learned from that is actually talk to the right people, so like the, how you're going to, you know, doctor or whatever, and actually put a plan in place and put trust in those people, which, uh, you know, for subsequent injuries has certainly been a big positive for me. Unless you're a, a well, like a golfer, no one can really play professional sport forever. So <laughs> what have you seen? You mentioned a bit earlier about the Players Association. What have you seen blokes go through who are transitioning out of their playing careers, and how has that made you think about yourself when that time comes for you? Um, I think the big thing that uh, that you see is often for for a rugby player, for example, is their identity or you know who they are is pretty pretty uh, tied into being a rugby player, playing on TV, those sort of things, and you get a lot of your positive sort of feelings from that. Uh, all of a sudden, that's taken away. Where you know, I say people don't care, but you don't get told where to be. You're not part of a team where you rely on each other, and all of a sudden you're out on your own, thinking what next. Um, I think people perhaps don't prepare themselves for it. I think some people think that because they're financially secure, everything's going to be okay, but that doesn't equate automatically to that. And uh, we've, as a players association, have started to have a lot of people, you know, start to put their hand up and ask for help, you know, as to just to get their life in some sort of order. And uh, I just know in my situation that um, I've got a bit of an idea about what I might do or how I'm going to do it, but big thing I'm trying to prepare myself for, get my head around, is understanding there's going to be, even if I 
know it's coming, how I'm going to handle times where, you know, you do miss it and you feel uh, a bit like, what next? And no one sort of cares or no one's telling you where to be or how to do things. Uh, and not saying that's going to go away, but realise I'm going to have times like that and, and know you've got some people that you can chat to. And I think that's where your mates are pretty important. But also, as I say, uh, people in our Players Association, uh, you know, a network there that uh, I think is pretty important. And, you know, there's people going through the same thing and sometimes, you know, being able to chat to them of their experiences is a pretty a pretty big positive, I think. Sounds like you you certainly have a lot of conversations with people around you already, like as part of your MO. Oh, I think so. I think that's what I've learned. As a young player uh, coming in, I, you know, you think you're bulletproof. And I actually saw some older players that, you know, you know started to look at how they, uh, you know, how they were as a probably from a mental space uh, where they were at. And I used to sort of laugh at that and go, God, just get on and play. You know, it's all pretty good what we're doing. But as you mature a little bit, I think you, you learn a bit more about yourself and you learn a bit more about the challenges that come for, well, not just rugby players, but everyone in life. And, and actually, the, the, one of the best things I've realised is talking to other people that have the same sort of things. It actually takes a bit of a weight off your shoulders that um, it's pretty normal to go through patches like that. And, you know, you can learn on, on the way bits, that, ways it'll help. And um, I think that's been one of the biggest learnings I've had. Mate, you've obviously done an enormous amount of work yourself to get where you are, but what role have your friends and your family had in your career? Uh, I've been hugely lucky with my uh, close family, especially the support I had from them has, has been pretty phenomenal. Um, so, you know, when you do have a rough game or a, a rough patch, you know, they don't judge you or whatever. Not, and conversely, when you start to get a bit carried away with yourself, your mates uh, are, are there, no matter whether you had a good game or a bad game, they'll give you the truth. But... That's what you want because they, they don't treat you any different to the other friends. And I think that's what I really appreciate is um, they still treat you as normal. You know, I think sometimes sport, especially, uh, you know, the ones that have high profile, you know, people can start living but unreal sort of, an unreal sort of life in terms of uh, get a bit carried away with things. But I've got a good bunch of mates that make sure that doesn't happen. And uh, I think that keeps you pretty grounded. Mate, you're part of a very, very exclusive club uh, as an All Black and as an All Black, you have something that and anyone who's ever watched a rugby match will know what I'm talking about. To have done a hucker before an international match, <laughs> for those of us who will never, ever, ever get to experience it, do you recall the first hucker you, pl- you, you performed in front of a packed stadium? Well, you kind of, I do, yeah. One thing growing up as a uh, young fella, like oh, that was probably the first thing I learned was how to do the hucker before I learned how to play the game as, as a six or seven-year-old. So you sort of practice all your life to, to do it. Um, and then at school, you know, we have not so much the All Black Hucker, but we all, the first 15s do hackers to each other. So it becomes quite the norm. But I've got to say, the, the hair standing up on the back of your neck, the first time I got to do it, uh, it was actually for the New Zealand under-19s, the first time I got to do it. That was what I was more excited about almost than playing the game, is being able to do that. Um, and, you know, sometimes you get yourself that pumped up that you've you got to remind yourself that... It actually doesn't uh, give any points on the scoreboard. It's uh, it's what happens afterwards. But it's it's a unique thing that I think all Kiwis, you know, uh, whatever your backgrounds, are pretty proud of. And you know, it's great to be able to do it. 
mate, so I'm, so I'm like getting ready for this interview. My, my mate at, at gym, Will, who was like just sending me YouTube after YouTube. I'm like, check this one out. Check this one out. <laughs> yeah, you got to do it right. You don't want to do it uh, half-hearted. It's, uh, you got to flick the switch to get it right. <laughs> well, it's, it, must, it must get you in some mindset for the game. I guess it does. Like when people ask, you know, is it an unfair advantage or whatever? <laughs> um, I actually don't think it is because I, I know it's like facing it. It gets you pretty pumped up when you see guys what they're going to do, but or what you think they might do. But it, you know, you have a lot of countries, you know, very passionate about where they come from, and the, the anthem's hugely emotional. I, I'd probably say, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, anthem. Um, obviously, all proud of it, but it's. It, I'd put the hacker in the same boat as, you know, people with the anthem has been, it's almost like another part of the anthem. That, that's the way it feels. So, yeah, it looks a bit scary probably at times, but that's the sort of feeling you get out of it is just proud of where you come from and, uh, you know, who you are. Mate, it's it's awesome. I think the closest we've got in Australia is what the uh, the Aboriginal, the Indigenous uh, AFL teams do. That's the closest. Yeah. That's the closest we've got. <laughs> um, oh, well. Mate, you've obviously had some incredible moments playing for your country. Is there anything in particular that stands out? I guess. Well, there's probably an obvious one when we had the World Cup here um, four years ago. Like that was pretty special, obviously, to win it, but. We we live we're in a bit of a bubble when that was going on, and uh, you know trying to get that sorted, and obviously winning it was pretty awesome. But it was we did a couple of parades around the country uh, afterwards, and how much you, you what you did for out in the rugby field meant to all Kiwis to to puff their chest out and be proud of being a Kiwi. That that was the time it really hit me what you actually do and how you can influence you know people, you know send them off to work on a Monday with a big smile on their face just because we went. You know, played where I was on the rugby field. That, and and knowing you have an impact that way uh, is is pretty special. So I guess that time uh, four years ago, uh, not only winning from uh, that point of view, but uh, what what everyone got to enjoy around the World Cup was pretty awesome. Sport is people like it because it's got a binary outcome: you win or you lose. That's it. Have there has there been a loss ever been a loss that's absolutely absolutely flawed you? And and how did you come back from it stronger? Well, probably four years previous when the All Blacks got beaten in the quarterfinal of the World Cup in France. Um, I was in Cardiff where we played the game. That was a pretty tough loss, but I've got to say, um, I look back now after what happened four years later, you'd probably say that one of the best learning things you could get, you know, you'd go through what it meant that in 2011, uh, it meant so much more having gone through the bitter disappointment of uh, not achieving what you wanted to. Um, so, you know, I, I just remember after that, uh, you know, you start questioning yourself and wondering whether you're the right person for the job. Obviously, I was captain and you take responsibility uh, for what happens. But I sort of I remember getting to a point, yeah, you had a choice. You either just took your lessons on board and, and back yourself to, to be better. You don't become a bad player just because of one game. Or you sort of just say, well, this isn't for me, I'm, uh, I'm a failure, I, I'm going to go down and do something else. And I, the, you know, the way I am, uh, the bigger the challenge, the more I sort of get excited for it. And uh, um, So, you know, that was probably one of the toughest losses to deal with, but also one of the best learning or, or made the next uh, four years uh, you know, worth it. Now, not everybody who's listening is going to run out onto a rugby field and, and face the French or the English or something like that. But everyone's got their everyone's got their own challenges, and everyone deals with pressure and, and high stakes in their own lives. What would you say to them? What have you learned about dealing with those situations? 
I, I guess one of the big things is is what can I can control? That's the question I ask. Um, and and then if you can't control it, well, putting a lot of energy and worry into it uh, doesn't get you far. Probably just gets you into a further hole. Um, so you, you put it in a rugby context, you know, I can't control um, what the referee's going to do or I can't control what the opposition are going to do. What I can control is how we play the game or how we prepare. So, you know, you can sit there for a game worried about oh, what, who's playing or whatever, but actually the best thing to worry about is what I can do. So that's one of the things. And the other one is uh, dealing facts rather than feelings, you know, in terms of uh, everything feels like it's wrong and actually... So on a rugby field, you know, it feels like you can't get anything right. But if you actually say, well, what are the facts? Well, the facts are this, this, and this isn't right. So can I fix it? Well, yes, I can. Whereas when you just sit there thinking everything's wrong and feeling terrible about it, well, we, we, how are you going to find solutions? So that's a, a, in a rugby context. And I, I think you can probably uh, put that into other parts of your life too, is, is what, what can I actually do myself to alter something or do rather than, Worry about what everyone else is doing that's causing you to be in the looking at things the way you are. So I think that's uh, probably a couple of things I've learned over the years that have helped me out a lot. Pretty solid advice, mate. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> both those things are pretty good. Yeah, so, uh, how, how how did you come to get involved with Movember? What was it about Movember that interested you? My old mate, uh, Robert Dunn, who's running Movember New Zealand, we, uh, he's a good mate of mine and uh, he obviously got on board and I, to be honest, didn't know a lot about it until he started explaining to me what uh, Movember stood for and uh, as I say, through my years of uh, you know playing rugby, um, everything hit home to me about uh, you know what the money's raised for is, is the way Kiwis are and the way blokes are, uh, you know, uh, raising awareness to have people to make it okay to got some issues or you know go and make sure it's not too late or down the track when you uh find out you got problems uh, with health so uh, i just thought it was uh, brilliant and um if you can touch a, a few people that uh you know end up in a better space well that's got to be a great thing unreal man unreal so we end these interviews i ask the same three questions when it comes to november what kind of mustache do you grow <laughs> uh last year i grew the had the handlebars but uh I actually went for a flight with the Royal Air Force and uh, I had to shave it down to the slug. And uh, I tell you what, it, uh, I had the full flying kit on, so it looked pretty apt, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of conversations do you have when people see the moustache during my member? When, you, when you're running with the handlebars, they actually know you're uh, doing it for a reason. But when you're running just a, a straight slug, they actually look at you and go, are you being serious or is that actually for a, a cause? So you just sort of got to explain that. But, um, yeah. As, as I say, uh, no, I had to run out in front of 80,000 people with, uh, with the Mo uh, against the Welsh in uh, November, which, uh, you know, all the photos now you see, you can pick out exactly what game it was, I tell you. <laughs> Must have been awesome, though. In my opinion, mate, sport was always better with beards and moustaches, always. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's a bit of a throwback to the 80s where pretty much 80% of the team all had the, uh, had the Mo's. Yeah, awesome. If you could pick up your phone and, and, and call 18-year-old Richie, what would you say to him? Oh, hell, that's a good question. Uh, you're going to have a lot of fun going forward. But, um, you know, some of the lessons I have now of looking after myself, so probably from a physical point of view, some of the lessons I learned, I'd be given some advice on uh, so that when I roll out of bed uh, in the mornings, I'm not quite as, feel quite as uh, broken as I do at times. <laughs> and what is most important to you about your mates? 
your mates treat you uh, the same no matter what and uh, we keep each other's feet on the ground pretty firmly, which is a, a great thing. Unreal. Mate, all the very, very best for the World Cup up ahead. Um, thank you. And thank you so, so much for joining us on the show today, mate. It really means a lot. No, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. All right, brother. Have a great afternoon. Thanks so much. Cheers, mate. See Good you, on you. That was Richie McCaw. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Movember Radio. Thanks for your patience with us over this holiday period. Uh, thank you so much to uh, the people that worked on this show, uh, Lavanya Nagendran, Molly Hindman. Music was by Toe Hider. Audio production by Daryl Misson. I'm Osha Ginsberg. We'll talk to you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.